So this is a really important episode. We've stepped away from interviewing an orthopedic surgeon from the standpoint of their story, but we're bringing on Scott Bruder, who's the founder and CEO of Bruder Consulting. And he is an absolute guru when it comes to orthobiologics and, and what's, what's safe and what isn't and, and what's legal, what's compliant. And the FDA just sent out a really important consumer alert letter on June 3rd, really re-emphasizing what they've been talking about for years and it, this could not be more important in this episode for doctors, for medical device reps that are actually selling orthobiologics, as well as for patients, to understand the ramifications of what you can and can't say, what you can and can't use uh, within this space to make sure that you're compliant legally, number one, but also providing safe measures and providing efficacy for your patients. So please, please listen to this episode. I highly advise sharing it to any and all that will listen. Peace out. Hashtag follow the fro. So what happens when you come on the Pitch Pro from the Ortho Show? Well, you can ask Kevin Rocco from BioRes. Three weeks later after coming on our show, he's FDA cleared for his device. And next thing you know, he's at the AOSSM Anna meeting with us in Nashville, and he wins the ACE Innovative Medical Device Award. That's what we're talking about. Matthew Ray Scott, Vin Dasa, Joe Mullings in the Fro, checking out what you bring to the show. We give you analysis, we break it down, we give you advice. Who's up next? The Pitch Pro from the Ortho Show podcast. From Medical Media, this is The Ortho Show. Hello world, it's your favorite opioid sparing orthopedic surgeon here for another episode of the Ortho Show podcast, Dr. Scott Sigmund, where we bring you the best of the best in the orthopedic space. We are going to call this one the Fro Alert episode. We got the bat signal from Dr. Bill Levine about a recent letter that came out of the FDA, which was a consumer alert, uh, which is really sort of... Uh, uh, really got the, the orthopedic space and the orthopedic world talking about regenerative medicine in particular. It's a really complicated space. What can you talk about? What can't you talk about? How you can promote? What, what are all these things that we need to figure out? And we are bringing in literally one of the world's experts, Dr. Scott Bruder, who's an MD, PhD. He's the founder and CEO of Bruder Consulting and Venture Group. He's an adjunct professor of biomedical engineering and orthopedic surgery at Case Western. Scott, we can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us today. How are you? Uh, fantastic, Scott. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to help spread the, the gospel of information to help keep our colleagues, patients, and sponsor companies safe. That's yeah, the idea. Ab absolutely. You know, your talk at the AOSSM uh, and a meeting down in Nashville was incredibly well received, incredibly, uh, you know, people have been talking about it since. And so we thought it would be great to try and help educate our doctors. Uh, the industry partners that we have out there, the medical device reps who are potentially selling regenerative medicine. And then again, everybody knows my mother's listening. So we want to make sure that patients get some understanding as well as what the FDA is trying to say. So basically June 3rd, the FDA sends out, sends out a letter. It's an important consumer information on regenerative medicine therapies. It's basically a consumer alert. And the, and the gist of it, I'm going to, I want you to talk about it, but basically they talked about the fact that there, there really isn't any of these regenerative medicine things that are approved for like 
COVID or ARDS and blindness, fatigue and lung disease. But really importantly, they listed orthopedic conditions and they mention arthritis and tendonitis and shoulder pain, back pain, neck pain, all of these things where many doctors are using regenerative medicine in clinical practice. So tell us the significance of this letter, Scott, and, and really how it, how it affects what we're doing. So thanks for the lead in. There's a couple of key issues here. First of all, the promotion and availability of this kind of information, this letter from the FDA, is nothing new. So this is an important point. There's nothing new in this letter that hasn't already been put out by the FDA since November of 2017, when they issued guidance on what they call HCTPs or human cell and tissue products. And they describe what the rules are, but between November 2017 and May 31st, 2020, they allowed this, this period they called enforcement discretion. And they're allowing during that period, companies that are working with erstwhile regenerative products or human cell and tissue products to market their products, to keep them on the market while they work with the FDA to navigate the appropriate approval pathways. But that period ended May 31st, and they issued this letter so that physicians, sponsors, and patients would be aware of what is legal and what is not legal and what products are available legally and not, not legally. Yeah, so it, it, you know, in this wild, wild west of the world of regenerative medicine, it is unbelievable what some uh, doctors and clinics across the country are touting as to what their regenerative medicine will do, much less whether it's an MD or a DO or a chiropractor or a nurse practitioner. I mean, it, it just, it goes across the entire gamut of healthcare professionals. And so I, I think this is really important for, for everyone to really understand as to, to what, the, what, the, what, the, what the legal basis is of what you can talk about and what's okay and what isn't. So can we really dive into that? What are the, what are the autologous products right now that if you discuss with your patients in the appropriate method, uh, what are those products that can be used at this point and are okay? Okay, so let me, let me break that down a little bit for you. First of all, the idea that you refer to this category and class of products as regenerative medicine products is something that I advocate we all avoid. The reason is none of these products actually regenerate any tissue. They may help ameliorate symptomatology. They may help reduce inflammation. They may contribute to a improved function. But when you look at it histologically, the products in this space really are not regenerative. So you're not injecting anything into the knee and regenerating cartilage. This is the kind of example. And the issue is that this whole category of stem cells and regenerative medicine, everybody loves to hear about it because it's the new thing. Uh, the challenge is how we communicate that to our patients and a distinction also between what you put on your website, how you market these products publicly, versus what you say to a patient in the confines of your exam room based on what your clinical perspective is uh, based on the literature or your experience with products. If I can now break that into the difference between products that are available with any legal basis versus those that do not have a legal basis for approval and availability anywhere. This 
letter on, on June 3rd was really earmarking all of those products that are not available in a legal way for commercial sale for any purpose. And consequently, doctors should not be buying these things, even though sales reps sometimes are misinformed. Sometimes they have this, what I call mercenary avarice to sell the product because they know that they can, because docs don't fully understand and they use these products. That's a, that, that's a bad place to be. And we can talk in a moment about the list of products that fall in that space. On the other side are products that are legally available. And when you're a product that's legally available, as you know, physicians can prescribe the use of that product in an off-label way based on their clinical experience, based on published literature they read. And so if you want to use a product, for example, like PRP, that is clinically available through a legally cleared 510K, even though that cleared 510K has very narrow indication, but you want to use it for something else because you believe that you've heard our friend Dr. Levine and other doctors talk about their experience and publish their results, that is within the art and practice of medicine that you're entitled to do as a clinician. So, so to be clear, the use of PRP is, is legal in an off-label uh, uh, use. It is not FDA approved at this time for the use of whatever it is that we're using for at this time. But there's a legal 510 predicate that allows you to still legally use it as long as you have consent and you know, conversation with your patient. Correct. The, the current FDA clearance for devices that prepare PRP is as a bedside preparation for PRP that may improve the handling of bone graft materials. That's the FDA clearance. But because that product is clinically available in a legal way, if you want to use it for lateral epicondylitis, if you want to use that for osteoarthritis of the knee or the shoulder, or you may want to use it for plantar fasciitis, I would say, if you believe that there is sufficient clinical evidence to support that, then you can explain that to the patient, give them a choice, explain to them the upside and the downside, and, and then use that product. So again, I want our listeners to be able to understand this. I'm going to repeat. So, so PRP is FDA cleared to add for a, a, uh, for a bone product exactly. Tell me one more time. Or it may improve the handling of bone graft materials. Okay, so that's what it's FDA cleared for. So now it's legally available if you have an off-label conversation about doing a PRP injection to the knee for knee pain or tennis elbow or patellar tendonitis, as long as you're having a conversation with your patient, describing the fact that it is off-label, have appropriate consent, then you can legally still use that product. Correct, correct. And that holds true also for the same devices that prepare a bone marrow aspirate concentrate. Or adipose, autologous or adipose tissue. Certain, certain adipose tissue products, because they enjoy, they do have a 510K clearance. Uh, lipogens is one of them. There are other products that do not, that they're trying to skirt the issue. And they may say things like, we prepare stromal vascular fraction, SVF. SVF is considered one of those HCTP or human cellular tissue products that is more than minimally manipulated. And because it's more than minimally manipulated, it neither qualifies for the exemption, which we call 361, but it does require a 351 pathway 
That is a long, arduous, expensive journey through the FDA that requires randomized controlled clinical trials. There are companies doing that, but don't hold your breath. It's going to be years until any of that is legal and available. I mean, it's just unbelievable how complex you know, the legalities of this. And it is amazing to me, I can assure you that the vast majority of clinicians across the country that are using these cellular-based therapies are not really you know, understanding these exact intricacies. And, and then if an industry partner such as a, a, a device rep comes in and starts talking and selling a product, they may not even know the intricacies as well. It's so important that, that we have this conversation to really understand. But I want to go back to lipogems. So, so what is, what's the FDA clearance for lipogems? So the clearance for lipogems is a bedside device for the preparation of microfragmented autologous adipose tissue that may be transferred back to the patient in the same surgical procedure and then there is a broad list of surgical indications. So those include orthopedic surgery, plastic and reconstructive surgery, neurosurgery, gynecologic surgery, general surgery. However, here's the limitation. And this is what happens with a 510K clear product. You may not make a claim, the company may not make a claim that says, we are effective in the treatment of OA. We're effective in the treatment of, of any specific pathology and that's where sponsor companies then have to pursue what's called a pre-market approval and navigate the FDA through a multi-year randomized controlled trial so that they can then promote, market, and advertise their efficacy in the setting of some treatment of any specific pathology. So before we go on, let's talk about uh, uh, FDA clearance and FDA approval and what those two things are so that our listeners are clear on that. Yeah, so FDA clearance refers to what we call class two or not necessarily high risk products whose clearance, whose allowance, as it were, for marketing by the FDA is based on the fact that they are substantially equivalent to another product that was previously approved to, before 1976. And so you daisy chain in 2021 backwards all the way to products that have been approved all the way before 1976. A class three product, a medical device, or a biologic product require a PMA, which is a pre-market approval, or a BLA, which is a biologic license, in order to sell that legally. And those require multiple clinical trials, randomized controlled trials, and human data that is subject to extremely rigorous review. For most 510Ks that are cleared, there's never any human clinical data. Yeah, that's fascinating. And, and really ultimately, you know, for, for cellular-based therapies to be, get into the insurance model where we're going to get compensation for this, I think that arduous FDA clearance process is really what's going to be required for, for these insurance carriers to be able to say, okay, now we understand the human clinical trials here. There's proof over science, and, and this is something we would consider reimbursing. You're absolutely right. And when we talk to sponsor companies about their development pathway, the upside of 510k clearance is you can be on the market in a year or two. You're selling, however, without human clinical data and you're selling without a specific reimbursement code or pathway, that's sort of the upside. You're there early, but you don't get reimbursement and you're paid for within 
the global DRG or diagnostic related grouping, or you're paid for out of pocket by patients who want, for example, PRP or BMAC or lipogens. When you can get a PMA or a BLA for a rigorously studied product, then you can apply to CMS to get your specific code. You can get, go to the insurance company because you've amassed a evidentiary basis that makes sense to support why, why you should be reimbursed. Which is a tremendously expensive process, which is why it has to sort of typically move into the big medical device or into the pharma world to do that. So I want to summarize a little bit on the goes before we go to the no-goes. So again, uh, 510K or FDA clearance for devices such as PRP for the machine that makes the PRP or the machine that makes the BMAC or for autologous uh, uh, adipose tissue such as lipogems can be used for your patients legally as an off-label use as long as you are talking about that with your patient in the appropriate fashion. Now, let's go to the no-goes, okay? The ones that are in your office all the time. We see them in the newspaper, the magazines, that are all these other products that have no legal basis for usage. Can you list those for us, please? Yeah, first of all, I want to give you an A, and I want your mother to hear it, because you get an A for being able to recount back to me what we talked about in the first 15 minutes. Congratulations. <laughs> well, that's that's called being a good podcaster, but thank you. I appreciate that. All right, Bob, you hear that? <laughs> Second part of that is it's not just 510K products, but is it's these human cell and tissue products that are 361 eligible, like certain acellular dermal matrices that can be used as a scaffold, like amniotic membrane. Amniotic membrane may be used to cover wounds, okay? But as a physician, if you decide you want to use that membrane in a different way, that's your clinical call. The product is available on a legal clinical basis. Now, you want to go to the, to the do not list? Yes, Here's yes. the do not list. Let me start real with a, a very clear statement. The FDA, in fact, put out a video on this. It's also on the FDA website. There are no stem cell products approved, cleared, or available for any orthopedic condition. Do not recommend, do not advertise, do not promote, do not buy anything that somebody approaches you with and says, this is a stem cell, thera- stem cell therapy for use in orthopedics. There are no cleared approved products called stem cells, period. Okay. Fro, fro alert, fro alert, no stem cells, loud and clear. All right. Take Fantastic. it off your website. Take it off your website uh, because that is a beacon for FDA compliance officers to reach out to you. Now, I have seen, I know the FDA has uh, sent out more than 400 letters. I've seen letters that went to certain physicians who said, uh, we see on your website, you're advertising X, Y, and Z. If this is true, you need to reach out to us and explain on what basis you are legal. You believe that you're legally offering these products. And if not, please clean up your website and, and get back to us on what you're doing. Nobody wants to get a letter like that. Nobody wants to get a letter like that. So the other things that, that are not, that are in the, the no-fly zone, if someone's trying to, to sell you stromal vascular fraction or exosomes. Again, those are illegal. There is no legal basis for those products to be sold commercially. Now, here's a caveat. The caveat is if 
you are a sponsor undertaking one of those long, expensive clinical trials to try to get exosomes or SVF or stem cells approved, you as a clinician may use those only in the context of that FDA study and only for patients that are in the study. You may not use the patients out, uh, you not use the product outside of the clinical study uh, and you can't charge for it for those patients, okay? So those are three. In addition to that is Wharton's jelly, amniotic fluid, and a micronized, micronized amnion that was previously being sold by several companies, but they pulled it from the market on May 31st because micronized amnion or powders of amnion that were being injected for plantar fasciitis or for knee osteoarthritis, those are part of an IND clinical study being supported by the sponsor. It's not commercially available to sell uh, and things that are based on umbilical cord blood. Those are also uh, no fly zone. I've seen, in fact, yesterday I got called by a colleague who said, oh, here's a company. They want to sell me their amniotic fluid, Scott. And, and they're telling me that this is fine, that they're not an HCTP. Well, the truth is amniotic fluid is not an HCTP in the eyes of FDA. They consider it a biological drug and no drug can be sold until it goes through a human clinical study. So do not buy amniotic fluid from, uh, from any vendor unless you want to uh, run the risk of, of, of using a product that's illegal and get, and get pulled over. And let me say one more thing, which is what I said at, at, at the AOSSM. I'm teaching again at a similar course at Academy at the end of, of August. I am not the police, okay? I won't turn anybody in. I'm here to help our clinicians, to help our sponsors, to help our patients understand the rules and to stay out of trouble. I'm willing to help anybody who wants to do things the right way, but there's still a lot of bad actors out there who think that they're just not gonna get caught because there's so many bad actors. Like we say, people, you see people driving down the highway, everybody's driving 75. The cops can't get everybody. They're gonna get somebody and you see them pulled over. And the question is, do you want it to be you? Because the risks are a little higher than just $125 fine. So, so within the no-go tissues or the no-fly zone, the only way in which those products can be used if they are in the process of an FDA approved study with clinicians that are allowed to use those medications specifically for the study. So for, the, for our listeners out there, if there's exosomes or an amniotic tissue type thing, you need to make sure if it's going to be used, it's in conjunction with a doctor that's included in that FDA study. I think that is really one of the major important take-home messages as well as no stem cells. So we can't use regenerative medicine here, Scott, but how about the term orthobiologics? So this June 3rd memo included the term orthobiologics as, as a, a warning to patients. And I think that was a misnomer. I have uh, discussed this with my colleagues at FDA because we have been talking about orthobiologics for more than 20 years. There are products that are the beneficiary of FDA PMA approval, like Infuse, which is an orthobiologic, like uh, Macy and Varicel's Cardicel, which are orthobiologic products cleared through a BLA 
those products actually do they set the standard for the for the definition of or what the field of orthobiologics means so i think if you're a physician and you want to say that your practice engages in orthobiologics i think you're on firm ground to do that as long as you're not also trying to sell stem cells and amniotic fluid because if you're selling things like like uh synthetic t- synthetic scaffolds or collagen scaffolds that repair rotator cuff or Achilles tendon, or you're dealing with some of these other bone graft materials like demineralized bone, uh, or you're dealing with an infused recombinant protein, those are orthobiologic products. You, the, nobody, the FDA is not going to win that argument that, that says all orthobiologics are, are illegal. Okay, fair enough. So, all right, so look, we, we've made a, a legal argument for the use of PRP, BMAC, and adipose tissue. Uh, And now we have doctors that have seen efficacy and they want to continue to use these products. Uh, And they want to communicate to their patients that these products are available. So I think it's important for us to try and provide some counsel on how it is safe to promote what you're doing in this legal capacity of using off-label use of these these cellular-based therapies. Yeah, this this is the delicate dance. So on your website, when you make reference to the kinds of therapies that your practice uses, you can make reference to using PRP. You can make reference to using BMAC or adipose tissue or allograft or DDM or amniotic membrane or visco supplements, uh, soft tissue reinforcement. These are all tissue repair-based products where you have to draw the line is saying we use PRP for the for 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 the correction of osteoarthritis. And here's a patient testimony because patient testimonials are the same as making claims. So when when we see patient testimonials that say, "Boy, I, I couldn't ride a bike before uh, Dr. Jones gave me that PRP, and now I'm 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 riding 25 miles," that's a claim. That's a claim that you can't make. So if a patient wants to get on and say, hey, I I came to see Dr. Sigmund. He is the most thoughtful physician I know. His office treated me with care. They were very thoughtful about the therapeutic intervention that they sought. And I feel very good about the care I got with Dr. Sigmund. That's perfect. That's fine. But they can't make clinical outcome claims that you post on your website. When you sit in in the office and, and the patient says, hey, doc, I see that you've got you know, PRP and BMAC and all these things. What, what do you think I should use? I've had my knee away a while. Then you can say, well, Mr. Jones, you know, I just came from the AOSSM conference. I saw this study. I'm convinced by the literature. If you were my brother, my mother, this is what I would do. But you have to understand this has not yet been approved by the FDA for this purpose, but there's lots of literature around it. And this is why I would do it. Yeah, which is which is fantastic. And I think that you know, we all like to be able to say that what we do works, right? And as doctors, we want to gain more patients. We want to heal and help as many people as we can. And having patients do the talking for you has been has become sort of a mainstay of promotion uh, for doctors, whether it's a, a knee replacement or a rotator cuff repair, uh, which obviously are on label for the things that they are doing. But again, again, patient testimonials are 
are really sort of a, a dicey play. You really have to be very careful with your words. I greatly appreciate the language that you specifically used as you were talking about that. I think that's great for our listeners. You should write that down so that you, you really are understanding and making sure you're not getting yourself in trouble. Uh, but I think that, uh, you know, the promotion uh, of these things, uh, especially in the hands of skilled clinicians who are, have really studied the literature, who have studied the techniques, who share in their ideas, uh, such as, you know, the Don Buford's of the world, the Steve Sampson's of the world, who, who are really doing their best to educate and communicate. We want them to be able to continue doing so uh, as orthobiologics evolve, you know, and then hopefully get more through the arduous FDA approval process so that perhaps these can even be then available for our patients. So, so Scott, as we, we sort of get, you know, we're coming to the end here, I want to, I want to go into three buckets here and I want you to talk to, first, I want you to give some parting advice to the doctors that are listening at this point as to the best thing that they can do now moving forwards uh, in their clinical practice so that they are legal and compliant with orthobiologics. Yeah, th thanks for that opportunity. The, the first thing I would say is whenever you're thinking about uh, purchasing product from a sales rep or distributor, ask them for documentation that they have. If they're making claims that they think you think sound a little fishy, especially based on the list that I've just gone through, ask them for documentation from the FDA that shows that they are either PMA, BLA, or 510K cleared, or that they have a letter from FDA that says they are 361 compliant. If they give you a song and dance around that, walk the other direction, okay? Don't buy that product because they're unable to give you that, uh, that comfort and peace of mind. The other thing to do is go over your website. Look for things that sound like claims and you wanna take them off. Now, if you're really serious about it, you can reach out to a regulatory uh, professional or uh, an attorney that's involved in healthcare and they will help you review your website, clean up your website, and change it so that it says things that are less egregious. Yeah, fantastic. Sagely advice. Okay, now my best friend, uh, Mark, is a, is a medical device rep, and he's got an opportunity to sell some new device, let's say amniotic tissue, whatever it is. What, what, what advice would you give to the medical device reps out there that are considering coming into this field or are already in the field to make sure that they are compliant and legal? Yeah, also a good opportunity for education. If you're, if you're a rep and your company says, hey, we're, we're going to give you this new product to sell, ask management, please arm me, arm me with all the necessary information that I ha can have available to maximize the sale of this product in a compliant way. Show me the FDA letters. Tell me <clears throat> what kind of language I'm able to use. And quite frankly, if they can't do that. If a rep feels awkward about the, the sale, you should feel or she should feel awkward really about making that sale because they are in the chain of command. They are in the chain of distribution and they can also be held liable for distribution of what we call adulterated and misbranded products. It, some of that stuff might as well have been made in my basement laboratory, right? I don't have a laboratory in my basement, so <laughs> you probably do. But uh, no, again, that, that's really great advice. Um, and then finally, for, for, for Judy, my mother, and all the mothers out there, and all the patients that are out there that are seeking 
you know, orthobiologics potentially as, oh, there's the basement. Fantastic. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we're not, we're, on, we're, we're not on video, but we are now in the, the, uh, the machinations of the evil basement. I love it. Uh, so, um, so for the patients that are out there that are seeking counsel and looking for this as an opportunity and option, what, what advice would you give to them? I think the, the, the first thing is a little bit of buyer beware. And when, when you're reading marketing materials, if it sounds too good, if it sounds like, hey, inject this magic juice, uh, inject this magic material, and your back is going to be great, your knee is going to be great, your shoulder is going to be great, uh, question your physician. Say, hey, doc, I, I know there's a lot of controversy around this. You don't have to put them on the defensive, but hey, doc, I know there's a lot of controversy around this. Can you help me understand? Can you provide to me? I read this thing on the FDA website that all this stuff is illegal. What's your confidence? What's the evidence that you have to make this decision to treat me that way? Yeah, no, it, it, it's really fantastic. We'll, we'll make that letter available on the website, Heather, to make sure that the, the consumers and listeners that are out there can, can read that as well. Scott, I can't thank you enough. I mean, in the ortho show, we, we like to pivot sometimes to things that are, are really super important for all of our listeners. And this could not be more critical for, uh, for the doctors and medical device reps and patients to understand and really make sure that we get this right. I can honestly say that I've learned a tremendous amount uh, from studying your, your literature and your talk. Uh, I can't thank you enough for the opportunity for being here and for spreading this very important message. Thank you, Scott, for the platform. Like I said, my goal is to keep all of our friends, clients, parents, sponsors safe, right? Safe, both clinically and safe, both legally. Because I know I don't look good in an orange jumpsuit, and I'm pretty sure that none of my colleagues and friends or their mothers are going to look good in an orange jumpsuit. And there are examples of multi-million dollar fines, uh, removal of license, and this is serious, serious business. Yeah, fantastic. Again, uh, really remarkable things that we can bring you on the Ortho Show. We can't thank you enough. This is Dr. Scott Sigmund, hashtag follow the fro, host of the Ortho Show. Till next time.